Today on Abounding Grace, be encouraged to use music for true worship. The most important thing that we can do on the earth is worship God, the one true God. We were created to worship. We were designed to worship. That's our natural tendency is to worship. And as we learned with Nebuchadnezzar, music is a powerful tool. It moves a person emotionally. It moves a person practically. It moves us. With the right tempo and the right song and the right beat and all of that, it moves a person. And that's why I believe God instituted worship through song and through music as a vital part of our relationship with Him. This is amazing grace. This is This is Abounding Grace, a radio outreach of Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. Our teacher, Pastor Ed Taylor, is leading a study of Daniel right now. Today, we're again looking at how music can be used for good or evil. We observed last time how King Nebuchadnezzar used music to move the people toward idolatry. Well, today we'll see how music can also be used to worship God. Turn, if you would, to Daniel chapter 3 and John chapter 4 as we hand things off to Pastor Ed. Would you take your Bibles and open them to the book of Daniel chapter 3 and the Gospel of John chapter 4 in a Bible study that I've entitled, Using Music for True Worship. Using Music for True Worship. You'll remember last time in chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar, 20 years have passed, and Nebuchadnezzar has found pride welling up in his heart and he builds this golden image. And he puts it out in the plains and he calls everybody to it. And he says that when you, verse 5, when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipes, and other musical instruments, bow to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. And we learn how music can be used to bring about great idolatry and motivate great sinfulness. And now we know that music can be also used to inspire great worship. And with that in mind, I want to move over to John chapter 4. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. John chapter 4. As we are learning from Jesus the importance of worship. The importance of drawing near to Him. And so Jesus says in verse 21 of chapter 4 in John's Gospel. He says, Believe me, dear woman... The time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The most important thing that we can do on the earth is worship God, the one true God. We were created to worship. We were designed to worship. That's our natural tendency 
is to worship. And as we learn with Nebuchadnezzar, music is a powerful tool. It moves a person emotionally. It moves a person practically. It moves us with the right tempo and the right song and the right beat and all of that. It moves a person. And that's why I believe God instituted worship through song and through music as a vital part of our relationship with Him. I mean, have you ever wondered about worship, especially when it comes to song? I mean, at some point in our Christian lives, we all ask the question, why? Why should I sing? Or how should I sing? Or why do I sing? Or what is worship to begin with? And really, what does God want from me? What is He looking for? When it says here that the Father's looking for those that are worshiping Him this way, in spirit and in truth, what is He actually looking for? And that's a common question. How should I worship? What is God looking for? And then we begin to think of worship in the sense of, what should I do with my hands? How high should I lift them? Should they be in my pocket? Should I go outside? Should I, should I put them straight out to the guys next to me? What, what should I do with my hands? Should I stand? Should I sit? Should I kneel? Should I clap? Maybe I shouldn't clap because I can't keep time. Is there a joyful noise? Should I whistle? Should I hum? And all of these questions are asked. And I believe they're asked for a good reason. We want to do it right. We don't want to worship God wrong. Then there's the when. It's not just the how, but the when. When is a good time to worship? That's a good question. Is it best to worship God in the morning? Should I get up at 5 a.m., 4.30 a.m., 3.30 a.m.? Yes, some of you are going, yes, we should have a 5 a.m. worship service. You lead that. <laughs> That'd be great. How about at midnight? We know in the Bible that some got up very early, but we also know that some worshiped at midnight. That's what Paul and Silas did when they were in prison. They were singing services at the dawn of midnight. Not only is there the how and the when, but there's also the why. Why should I worship? What's the big deal? Especially when we talk about worship in song, in music. This whole thing of singing and clapping and raising my hands, sitting, standing. Why should I? I just want to study the Bible. And many people, they plan their approach and their arrival at church as they figure out the order of service so they can skip the music part. Because you're just really into the Bible. And you want the Bible study. And you want to be fed the Word of God. And that's your goal to learn. But the emphasis is on worship many times is not at all what God's looking for. And how careful we need to be when it comes to what we emphasize in worship. I don't know if you've noticed, but as of late, the emphasis on worship is more outward than it is inward. It's more upon the art form rather than the heart form. And what that's made is it's made people, instead of making them true worshipers, it's made them critics of worship and critics of worship services. People are hung up on how worship looks or how it doesn't look how it sounds and where it comes from, instead of the essence of worship, which is who is being worshipped. That's the emphasis. And you'll hear things, as I've mentioned before, you'll hear things where you might be sitting there and go, you know, I don't like that song. Oh, really? You don't like that song? Well, write that down and put it in the suggestion box. You don't like that song. Or that instrument was out of tune. Or they missed a word up on the screen. Or it's too loud. Or it's too soft. Or the lights are off. The lights are on. And then you'll leave a worship service speaking to the person that you came with. You know, what do you think about worship today? Well, I give it a six. Six, that's pretty good. I gave it about a five. So together, that's about a five and a half. You know, if that's you, then you've seriously missed the point. You missed the whole point of worship in general 
you've missed the whole point in relationship to what God wants to accomplish when we gather together as a church family. God is on stage, not man. We worship to an audience of one. And if in that attitude that we carry sometimes, what if things were turned around and we said before you walked out, you needed to get in line on either side of the stage and you would walk up and then we would flash God's score of you on the screen of how what he thought of your worship. And then you walk up, zero, ah, and you got to walk through the back of the stage. You can't even walk out the doors. Zero's out back the stage, minus one, ah, and then they play back a video. God has a video of your worship where you're playing Angry Birds on your phone while everybody's singing. And you're not worshiping at all. And, and you're, not, you're not engaging God at all because, well, because you've become a critic. You've become someone that says, no, I'm going there. And if worship and, and the song and the teaching and church and all of that, all that we encompass is worship, if it doesn't measure up to what I want, the way I want it, I'm going to find a place where it is the way I want it. And then you find yourself always looking for that perfect place that doesn't exist. Because the issue is actually not the churches that gather, whether they gather with a full band, lights, haze, whether they have colored lights, whether they have amplification, or it's just somebody, the worship team didn't show up and they're just playing a CD. What difference does it make? We're singing to the one true God. We're gathering together to remind ourselves that God is God and we are not. Worship is something special that God has given to us through music. When we come together, the worship team, the pastoral team, the teacher, the greeters, everyone in the church, they're not, that God is not, that we're not here to examine them. God is here to examine our hearts. And where do we stand? It's our awesome and holy God giving the grades here, not us. Drawing us into deeper relationship. And even if we did end up getting a zero in our bad attitude for that day, God still loves you and invites you into relationship. You know, you kind of walk out the backstage, oh, I got to walk out the backstage, but what you find there is God waiting for you to say, hey, I'm glad you're here. Let's have our own little worship session and let's get it right, right here, because I love you. And the more you know of me and the more you think of me and the more you meditate on, the more you draw near to me, I draw near to you. But I'm asking you to consider where your heart is when it comes to, these, to this season of the church life, because, you know, Jesus didn't call us to be consumers of the church to have a list, if you will, of what is, what, what is it that you're going to give me? What, what is it you're going to do for me? What songs are you going to play for me? I don't like that song. I don't like that voice. I don't, I don't like, I don't like. Man, just lay it on the altar and allow God to do a fresh work in your life. Let me, let me define for you the word worship. The word worship comes to us from two words, worth and sipe. And when you put it together, it was sort, shortened to worth-ship. And literally it means to respect and honor and ascribe worth, to give value. The idea is that we ascribe worth or value to someone or something. In other words, we worship what we deem worthy. You heard people say, oh, he worships money, or he worships his children, or he worships his career. And really what you're saying is, is that's what they're consumed with, what they place a high value upon, whether it's the kids or the career. And so when we use that word in the Greek language, and when we use it in the Bible, what it's speaking to us in our worship to God, we worship him for no other reason than he's worth it and worthy of it. And we don't sing songs for what we can get out of it, although we do get much. But because it makes us, or nor because it makes us feel good, we worship God because he's worthy. 
It's, it's the sum and substance of our valuing God. And I find that many guys and many gals that are tripped up with the music get tripped up in other areas of their lives. Do you know that singing together as believers has been a part of the life of the followers of God from almost the beginning? It's what God ordained. It breaks down barriers. I've had the privilege of being in worship services in places where I didn't know the language. For example, we were just in the Ukraine with Pastor Byron and Emily, and Emily led worship. She sang all the songs. She was the lead worshiper that weekend for the service, and she sang all the songs in Russian, fluently and beautifully. And they gave us some words to help us go along in English, but for me, I just sat there enjoying listening to the church worship in their native tongue. And instead of singing their words, because I didn't know their words, I just sort of hummed along and enjoyed the presence of the Lord in the people of God. And like worship brings people together from different languages, different tribes, different tongues, different nations. Music is something that brings us together and binds us together. And it's God's will that we use music in order to break down barriers in our hearts and bring us to a place of worship. It is the very highest activity that we'll ever attain to in life. There is nothing greater than a worship relationship with God. Jot it down in Revelation chapter 4, verse 11. The Bible says, You are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and they exist because you created what you pleased. And I like the Old King James Version on this, because in the Old King James it says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. For Thy pleasure. You and I were created for God's pleasure. We've got it all flipped around. We, we show up, we wake up in the morning, and we think of our pleasure. We think what's going to make us feel good, what's going to be good for us. And, and part of the weakness of the church of Jesus Christ on the earth today is it's become so inward focused. What do you have for me? I'll tell you what I have for you. I have an exhortation to share the gospel and love people. That's what I have for you. That's what the Bible says. And how do you get a heart for people? You begin to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And you love your neighbors, yourself. His very love flowing through you as you choose to abide in him. And that place of abiding is a place of worship and adoration and joy and appreciation. When a person follows God, you come to admire him and you get to know him deeper and you begin to love God more. And it grows with each day. And it's from that growing love that worship flows. Actually, as we're talking about worship and song, actually everything we do in work and play throughout the day should be done in worship to God. The Bible says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, whatever you do or say, do it as a representative, or in the New King James, as unto the Lord. Whatever we do, we do unto the Lord, giving thanks through him to God the Father. When we're at work, when we're on the road, when we're changing a diaper, when we're homeschooling, we're teaching a class, anything is to be done in worship and honor toward God. It's not our boss we're trying to impress. We serve the Lord. It's our privilege, but his pleasure to place us where we are in this world. And he has a purpose. And part of our response is to do it in a worshipful way. But unfortunately, we live among a generation that worships its work, works at its play, and plays at its worship. And thus we are weak. That's the English word. The Greek word for worship 
is the word proskuneo. If you might want to circle that, you can circle it anywhere near worship being used in verse 21. Proskuneo. It means to kiss the hand or to kiss toward. You might get the picture of kissing a loved one. It's a term of endearment, a term of love, a term of relationship. It means to bow down in obeisance, to, to show humility and, and, and express humility as one who recognizes the order of things. So when you know you, you see God, you go, man, I am not God. You are worthy of my praise. And the idea of bowing and, and giving forth that worthy attention and surrender to the one that you're bowing to. That's why you don't worship man. That's why you don't worship a statue. It has no greater value than you, but God, he's your creator. And automatically, he engenders in us worship. You know, it's easy to walk into a room like this and something that we call worship service and really ask why. Why do we do what we do? Why the songs and why these songs? If I can worship in anything and I can worship anywhere, then why is it that we spend so much time singing? I'll just skip the songs and I'll come for the Bible study. Why are we doing this anyway? Well, you even begin to come on a service, although today wouldn't be one of those services, but you might be able to sort of predict the order of service. Sometimes you might wonder, why do we switch things up just so you can't predict the way things are going to be? And yeah, you might walk in a little late. You go, well, honey, we, uh, I guess they said the, they're going to worship last. What are we going to do? I tell you what you're going to do. You're going to stick around and sing with us. We did it just for you. We usually sing together, and we enjoy one another, and we enjoy worshiping God together. But things become predictable in a church service. There's the opening prayer, then a couple songs, then sometimes we used to have a psalm reading, and then, you know, we got a couple more songs, and then some Bible study, and then another song, and then I go get my kids, and I go home. And so I'll just rearrange my, my life around how I think things are going to go. Instead of coming into a room like this expectant for God to speak to me. And you know, the longer you gather together, the longer you're in a church, the longer you're in a particular church, this sense of regularity just tends to overtake you. And the wonder of God is lost. And the, the wonder of what God wants to do is lost. I, we're coming up on our 20th anniversary, you know, as a church. So we've been going back and looking at a lot of pictures. And some of those pictures, they immediately spark thoughts of when we, like, for example, I've been looking at a lot of pictures when we gathered in the school. And I literally remember times in the school when we would set the, the chairs up and we'd set the children's meetings up and we'd get done early and we would stand back at the windows on the back of that room where we were meeting where there was a parking lot back there just looking for a new person that would come to church. We would be so excited when a new car showed up or a new family showed up and we would be so excited that God would entrust another family to us. We'd be so excited that somebody responded, a neighbor came. We'd be so excited that, man, that we're going to have to put up five more chairs next week. This is going to be awesome. We're not going to have 50 chairs. We're going to have 55 chairs. This is great. And we were so excited. And then something happened. Like it would be predictable as you continue on. And, and so then we, I, we got to the point in the school where we put every single chair we could possibly find in that whole property in that room. And maybe we put a little too many chairs in there, but we did what we did. There was no more room for chairs. And then we added another service. Then we added another service. And you know, the excitement wasn't, we weren't so excited anymore. I didn't see people looking out the back window anymore. Because they would look at the room and go, well, you know, we got enough people now. And there's, a, I don't know what they were thinking exactly, but there wasn't that excitement anymore about God reaching a person. Just a person. And over time, then we move, then we move into a facility like this. 
and there's no setup and takedown anymore. And it's like, well, you know, so I go to church. There's a permanent facility there. We have a key to it so we can do things and we can do whatever we want with it. We can come anytime. And so he just says, go to church, honey. Let's just go to church. And there's no wonder anymore. Where do we get the wonder back as we surrender in song? Because, you know, it's, it's not everybody likes to sing. <laughs> and not everybody has the singing voice, if there is such a thing. I'm not saying who or not. I mean, I don't, I'm not the judge of that. I could say for myself, I don't have the prettiest voice. Uh, some of you have shared that with me as I've sat behind you. Like, you turn around, who's that? Oh, it's Ed. <laughs> Never mind. You know, it's like... <laughs> It's okay. I, I sing with what God's given me. And long ago, gotten over the sense of that, you know, self-thought, like, what, do you, what are people going to think? I, I don't, I'm not singing for you. And I'm not singing to you. So whatever you think, you've missed it. You're not singing to me. I'm not singing to you. We're together singing to the Lord. Open up now to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. Music is powerful. Nebuchadnezzar knew that thousands of years ago. He used it to move the people toward idolatry. He knew how powerful music was. But, you know, he didn't invent it. God did. God invented music. It's something that God gave to us as a gift. And notice in Hebrews chapter 13, this is a place that we'll get in our regular verse-by-verse -verse study of Hebrews here soon enough. But notice with me in verse 15. In Hebrews chapter 13, it says, Therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual, what does your Bible say? Sacrifice. A sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name. And don't forget to do good and share with those in need. These are the sacrifices that please God. Have you ever considered your singing as a sacrifice unto the Lord? Because let's just think, you go, I don't want to sing, I'm not going to sing, I won't sing, I'm not going to sing. Okay. So now it becomes a sacrifice, giving unto the Lord something that will be painful for you, something that will cost you something. That's what sacrifice, it costs you something. And so worship cannot just be our enjoyment of it, but now we can enter into a deeper area of singing and worship through song that's going to cost us something. And notice what it's tied to. Not only is it going to cost you something in song, but then it's going to move you to do good, to bless people. It's going to put you in the frame of reference of who God is in your life. It gets your mind off of your circumstances. Worship is not just songs. It's not just songs. It's the beginning. There's doing good and sharing. These are such sacrifices. But it's also the offering of our lips. In Psalm chapter 9, verse, 9, verse 1, it says, I will praise you, Lord, with all my heart. I will tell of all the marvelous things you have done. So I'm praising you with all my heart and the natural response, I'm going to tell people all the great things you've done. I'm going to tell you all the wonderful things. I'll be filled with joy because of you. I'll sing praises to your name, almost High. When we come together, it's not just for songs. It's, it's for God to stir up in us a sacrificial service of our lives. As you sing to him and for him and about him, singing and worship and humming and joyful noise, all of it, becomes a process of sacrifice unto the Lord.
We're traveling through Daniel one verse at a time with Pastor Ed Taylor on Abounding Grace. Before we part ways, just a few things we want to tell you about. If you'd like to hear today's message again, log on to AboundingGraceRadio.com. Again, on the web, we're at AboundingGraceRadio.com. You can also download our free app and access our teachings that way. Search for Calvary Aurora. Yes, these are frightening times for many in our world today. But how can we as Christians stand courageously? In Tom Doyle's book, Standing in the Fire, you'll be encouraged as you read about certain heroes of the faith that stood strong in the face of danger. We too can stand courageously in the fire we're faced with. Request a copy when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more. You might think of it as our way of saying thank you. You can do that by calling 877-30-GRACE. Again, the number is 877-30-GRACE. You may not realize this, but we look to our listeners to help us remain a biblical voice on this station, and each dollar that's sent in is an investment in God's kingdom work. You'll be helping people all across the nation to become a man or woman that God can use. You can make a donation online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. You can also donate through the app. Well, don't miss our next study in Daniel. It's going to be a good one. That's right here on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You lay down your life. That I would be set Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. 